Nikki Haley announced her bid for president. We'll discuss whether there's a lane for her brand of, shall we say, moral flexibility. Then we'll turn to the seemingly never-ending stream of UFO stories. What exactly is going on here with this? Finally, we'll discuss the GOP's reckless brinkmanship over the debt ceiling. They're pushing the U.S. ever closer to an economic catastrophe. What can Biden do? Can he protect Social Security while avoiding disaster? We'll discuss all of that and more. This is Majority 54. So, all right, Nikki Haley announced, as you mentioned, and I think it's really important just to go straight to her announcement video. Let's listen in. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. Uh, so there's so much in this video. We didn't subject uh, the listeners to the entire thing. Y'all are welcome for that. Uh, a couple of things that I would point out about it right out, out of the gate. Um, one is that... <clears throat> There's no mention directly of the fact that she was the UN ambassador for Trump uh, for a couple of reasons. I think one, uh, she was the UN ambassador for Trump, which like if you're running against Trump, you can't really be like, oh, so this guy was my boss. Right. But I think the larger reason is, is that it's like not exactly in vogue uh, in the Republican Party right now to have done things internationally on behalf of the United States or to even acknowledge that people who don't live in America are also human beings. So uh, I, I, that was what jumped out at me, first of all. The, the second part that really jumped out at me was her statement over and over again. They love to do the straw man thing. She keeps saying in the earlier part of the video that, you know, for all of the the left's criticism of America, and then she just like compares it to Iran and places like that. Um, Ravi, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anybody on the left has been like, you know, Iran is a better country than America. Like, I don't think saying there's things no. we can do better is the same as being like, I wish I lived in Iran. I think it would be charitable to even call it a straw man. And she was the UN ambassador. And I think that's what she's trying to play up is that experience. And without, without saying it, because then right. you, you sound establishment. Right. You know, and I worked for one of her predecessors, Susan Rice. And I have to say, we took Iran very seriously. <laughs> we used to go, you know, at midnight meetings when Iran would do something we weren't supposed to do. We'd be leading the charge. We increased sanctions during that period of time pretty, time pretty significantly. But what's fascinating here, and our listeners, I warned you that 2023 is going to be the year of Republican on Republican violence. And I really want you to enjoy this year because this is a year where we could sit back and just say, all right, y'all have at it right now. Figurative and, violence. We yeah, figurative violence. Yeah, we don't want any violence. We don't want any, any real violence, but yeah. metaphorical, yeah. I, you know, we hope. <laughs> and I think Haley has a real problem here because she has not been consistent on the issue of Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. So let's just take a look at a video of just some of her evolving positions on Donald Trump, the man and the president. Donald Trump proposed yesterday a travel ban on Muslims into the United States. What is your reaction to his proposal? It's just an embarrassment to the Republican Party. During anxious times, it can be tempting to follow the siren call of the angriest voices. 
we must resist that temptation. I will not stop until we fight a man that chooses not to disavow the KKK. That is not a part of our party. That's not who we want as president. We will not allow that in our country. Well, I won't pretend to have always been president-elect's biggest cheerleader. I did vote for him, and I was absolutely thrilled to see him win. Thank you, Mr. President. You, it's Mr. been an Thank honor you. of a lifetime. And I will say this, um, for all of you that are going to ask about 2020, no, I'm not running for 2020. I can promise you what I'll be doing is campaigning for this one. So I look forward to supporting the president in the next election. Donald Trump has always put America first, and he has earned four more years as president. I would not run if President Trump ran. And I would talk to him about it. You know, I mean, that's something that we'll have a conversation about at some point if that decision is something that has to be made. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. It's so sad, man. It's just <laughs> she doesn't so put sad. up with bullies. Jason, she doesn't put up with bullies. <laughs> no, what, she brings what, them what in and embraces could we them. Say about that? Yeah. It's like, you know, like uh, if you watch like a boxing match or UFC where if someone's just absolutely getting pummeled and then the guy in the corner or the gal in the corner will yell like, wrap them up, wrap them up. And then it's like you just pull them in because if you pull them in really tight, it's really hard to, you know, like get really good punches. Oh, so in. you're saying that's what Hill She's doing. wrapped him up. She wrapped him up for a long time. But now is she wrapped him up and then he got like weaker. Like, I don't know what happened. Like something happened that he got weaker. And now she's like, ooh, I can win. So everybody's like, but you said you wouldn't run if Trump ran. And Nikki Haley out loud has to come up with some way to obfuscate this. But in reality, in her mind, what she's thinking is, it's like, well, obviously that meant if I couldn't beat him, but now he's very weak. I mean, it's a completely different situation. You don't expect me to not run. I mean, now that people don't like him as much, I mean, that's all this is, right? Yeah, well, Trump has taken notice. I, it sounds like they didn't have the conversation that she discussed that they would have. <laughs> he took to Truth Social to tweet the following. Nikki Haley had a hard time making the decision to run for president because she very publicly stated that she would, quote, never run against the president. Um, sometimes he doesn't end his quotes, by the way. He said, I, I told Nikki to follow her heart, not her ambition or belief. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. She's polling at 1%, not a bad start. So he's mocking her. Yeah. Uh, if she if, Is she polling at 1%? That's pretty bad. But I guess it's just the beginning. It's early. Also, going back to that tweet for a second, just like, you know, Trump being who he is. Nikki Haley has said some really dumb stuff. One of the things she said that was dumb that she or one of the things she did not actually say was that he's like the greatest president ever. Like, my point is, he already has a great got here. Like, he's got yeah. her. She said she wasn't going to run if he ran. She said he she was thrilled that he won. She said all that. she served in his administration, but he can't help it. He's got to just embellish and make up the fact that she said he was the best president ever, which never happened. <laughs> like, but now it yeah. did because he said so. So I, I I, uh, I, I, what this exposes to me, um, you know, part of my job here, I think, is to be the the guy who ran for stuff and can kind of let people in behind the curtain. And, and there are some things that are common to both parties, uh, particularly at, at that level of where you're like jockeying for president or running for president. And that is that people who end up in a campaign against each other, particularly a campaign as nasty as that 2016 primary was, they don't really like each other. Like they, at, at some yeah. point, they have to 
you know, put on airs and they have to, because they got to work together, they got, you know, it, it's mutually beneficial like it was for Nikki Haley to go into the administration. But it is rare. I mean, it happens. Like I have people who were looking at running when I was looking at running or who did run, who I'm like genuinely friends with now. But if you're being real at the time, there's a rivalry there. And mm -hmm. usually it doesn't fully go away. It just sort of goes dormant or, or for a little while. And that's all that happened. Like people are, I'm sure people will be outraged about this, but the truth is like Nikki Haley wanted to be president then. She wants to be president now. And she thinks she can beat him possibly. And that's why she's running. There's nothing more to it than that. Well, the Trump campaign, which I guess exists, there's people over there. They, <laughs> you can't they, tell, sent, yeah. they, they sent out an email titled The Real Nikki Haley. And, you know, for all the falsehoods that Trump has been responsible for in his campaign, there's a lot of truth in here, which is he basically just goes through the record that we just talked about, essentially says that she can't be trusted. And so I think in this sense, it's like, you know, I think it was Kissinger who said about the Iran-Iraq war, it's a shame they both can't lose. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's how I feel about this Republican primary. It's like, I just hope they all lose. Obviously, they all can lose if we win the general election, when we win the general election. And Haley is a particularly dangerous character, I think, because we can make fun of her or whatever, mm -hmm. but she's a slicker version of the extremism that we see on the right. And here's just one example of how she can play the game of appearing to be moderate in public. And she did this around the Confederate flag stuff in South Carolina. Like she appeared to be like, oh, conciliatory and, and trying to work together with civil rights groups to take it down. Uh, but here's this t 2010 interview she did where she's with a pro-Confederate group. And she already in this interview has already told them basically she's sympathetic to the Confederate flag and that you know, she she believes in the history and she thinks that the flag is misunderstood. But then she goes on to talk about the issue of secession from the United States, which I would say is a fringe position. Let's go to this clip. Do you believe that the states of the United States have the right to secede from the I think that they do. I mean, the Constitution says that. If it became an issue where the state of South Carolina needed to secede from the union, will you support it? You know, I'm one of those people that doesn't think it's going to get to that point. And let me tell you why. While we are seeing all of this federal intrusion come into our states, the way I will handle it is I'm going to get a coalition of governors together that turns around. Let's take the health care situation, for example. I'm going to get a coalition of governors that turns around and goes to, the, to Washington and says, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. I think it's important for people to understand that that wasn't that was like a group she had to sit with politically to run for governor in South Carolina that like she had to sit with politically. Like if you want to win the Republican primary for governor in South Carolina, you've got to sit down and win over people who are like, what are you going to do if it's time to secede and are like not kidding. And you've got to treat them like they're very serious and important and mainstream people, which by, you know, th then makes them serious and mainstreamed because you're a candidate for governor and you're doing that. And I think sometimes there's probably a lot of people who listen to our show who don't come from states like South Carolina or Missouri who don't realize that like this is a real thing. These are real forces within the Republican Party uh, that have been legitimized over and over by candidates like Nikki Haley, who were like, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not I'm not going to put my dignity before getting a few extra votes in a Republican primary. And that's, that's who she is. Uh, to your point, she got a lot of fanfare for saying that they would take down the Confederate flag. But by that time, she was already governor. And she was right. thinking about general election stuff, right? I mean, right. that's who we're dealing with here. Yeah, and she, so what's interesting now is you've got a, a bunch of candidates who are going to be jumping in this race. Chris 
Casey Nome in, in South Dakota, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, who uh, there's a lot of buzz around Tim Scott right now as a formidable candidate. I think they would be smart to like, I mean, if we're talking about the, the terrible choices that are available in the GOP, I think he would be one of the most difficult for Democrats to beat. But the, the problem is this is like a classic prisoner's dilemma. If they all go the distance and they stay in as long as they they can, Trump has a plurality probably. You know, you could you could argue it's a majority depending on the polling, but it really feels like a plurality. But how does a plurality win? Well, a plurality of the electorate wins if too many people stay in for too long. And so there's going to be this interesting question of are these candidates going to do what the Democrats did in 2020? If you remember, there was this period of time, I think it was around Texas. You may you may remember exactly yeah. when this was, where they right. all just kind right of dropped out in one day. Yeah, they all dropped out in one day uh, and mm-hmm. endorsed Biden. Buttigieg did, um, uh, what's her name, uh, in Minnesota? Um, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar. And because yeah. what was at stake was beating Trump, right? Yeah. And But so the question is, will the stakes be high enough, right? Because for them... If, if they don't see the stakes of defeating Biden as quite as high as we saw the stakes of defeating Trump, then they're going to put their own personal fortunes, their own career above that, unless they see it as defeating Trump is such a high stakes thing that we've got to get behind. But but for that to work, one of them has to be really outpacing the other, right? Like like Scott has to be uh, you know way out in front of the other two or, or DeSantis for that to happen. But if it's like it was last time where it's like the anti-Trump vote is dividing into multiple directions, well, then they're all going to be standing in a circle looking at each other going, well, no, it should be me. It should obviously be me. And that's when you end up in that situation. I, I would agree with you that, um, that I, I actually think uh, you know, while we joke about it, that Nikki Haley would be a very formidable candidate uh, in the general election, actually because of a lot of the things we've been making fun of her for. She has demonstrated a real ability to be a chameleon and, right. and to to move through those political wins. And, to you know, people may not want to hear that, but we don't agree with her on stuff, but like she's good at the con artist game. And right. that that could be frightening for us. Yeah, and and there's this big question I have, which is, do voters really care about flip flopping? It doesn't seem like they do, based on <laughs> recent experience. It seems, yeah. it seems they care about other things more than that. She did play this identity politics game over the past few days, where as an Indian American, I noticed where she's mm-hmm. playing up her Indian identity, but at the same time, going after the left on on what she perceives as their identity politics, and I think that is. I don't want to use the word offensive because I'm not like clutching my pearls here and crying, but I just notice I, I see what she's doing, and I think we've got to push back against her. It'll be well, interesting. Explain to see. it more. Like when you say you see what she's doing, like kind well, she of does this thing. That. Yeah, she basically she she almost I think she might explicitly say in one end, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm Indian, and what Indian means is, and then she fills in the blanks with this language around meritocracy and and all this kind of stuff, and to me. It implies that meritocracy isn't prevalent in either of the other sides of that equation. Like there aren't, you know, for the people who are new to this audience, I was a former school principal in North Nashville, right? And a lot of our parents in North Nashville, African-American parents, almost 100% of them, they believe in the same uh, power and promise of upward mobility in America that these Republicans claim and that Haley's claiming is like dominant within the Indian American community uh, and almost concentrated there. But 
you know, one of the reasons why I even started school in the first place is because although the odds are tough for people coming from a place like North Nashville, the parents still want that. They still believe in the power and promise of it, even if the obstacles are bigger for them. And so I, 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 she, she claims, and this is what a lot of Indian American and Asian American candidates on the right do, is they claim almost like meritocracy is almost an exclusive trait of Asian American communities and right-wing Asian American communities. And I think that's wrong. I just think that those of us who aren't on the right uh, whether we're Asian American or not, believe is that yes, like you should believe in the you know the ladder of mobility and the power and promise of making it in America. And I think what makes us Democrats is that we believe that there are more obstacles in the way of people than maybe somebody in their right does, and we want to clear as many of those obstacles as possible. But we don't want to get rid of um, you know the the opportunity to start a business or go to school, et cetera. But that's what their terrain is. She's going to be arguing that we are against that, and I yeah. I feel like as a right winger, what she's saying is almost even worse. And it's like, I feel like what she's saying is instead of saying, look, meritocracy is, is an Indian American trait, but it, it didn't necessarily apply to the folks as she puts it in her ad on the white side of the tracks or the black side of the tracks. I felt like what she was saying was, is that, um, that she's like implying that the white folks believed in meritocracy and that the black folks didn't and that she is an Indian American uh, believed in meritocracy, but you can't, even if you don't agree that the white folks believed in meritocracy, you can't put that on her because right. she wasn't. It's like, she's trying, I felt like it's an identity politics. That's like, I, I share your agenda and your perspectives, but don't worry. I am uh, invulnerable to their usual identity attacks. Right. You know, like, right. It, it's an, almost an elect, electoral pitch. Right. It's 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 always powerful politically. Obama did this really well when you could say I am many things to many people. It's a dangerous game because you have to. Uh, and I think Kamala Harris has has struggled with some aspects of this being half Indian like I am. Um, her other half is different than me. But but it is tough sometimes to when when you aren't. To, of one community to tell a story that most Americans who do come from a more homogenous community can understand. And it takes a very gifted politician like Obama, you know, that famous race speech in Philadelphia to be able to thread the needle in a way that's where a lot of Americans could see themselves in you. And that will be her challenge. And I think, you know, our friend of the pod, former Republican strategist, Mike Murphy recently said, you know, of this primary that he thinks, and he's got a lot of good sources within the right, that the Koch brothers, who just recently came, or Koch brother now in Charles, uh, has said that he's going to be backing a non-Trump candidate. Murphy seems to think that there's going to be a lot more discipline within the funder world in the right. And so I think that's something we can keep an eye on. I think this is like a beat of this podcast is we're going to be looking at Republican primary dynamics because it's really important. It is entertaining. Yes, it is good to see people beating up on each other metaphorically in these primaries. That's all awesome. But what's really important for us is to understand the arguments they're making to each other, hold them accountable for their move rightward, which they're inevitably going to be doing in this primary, and then also watch what animates their base. Are there cle like are there certain cleavages within their base? Because if this thing gets messy as it should, that's an opportunity for us. We can exploit those. Because mm -hmm. like a good example, as we'll get to, is Social Security. There's a split within the Republican Party on Social Security and Medicare, and so we'll talk about that. But that's going to be an opportunity for us when we get to the general election. Uh, to me, the last thing out of this Nikki Haley announcement that I think we should watch uh, is she talked about 
uh, generational uh, parts of politics a lot. She talked about, frankly, just age a lot. And look, I don't think this is any big shock, right? If the candidate is not Trump, and heck, even if it is, like he might just lie about his age, who knows? But if the candidate for the Republicans is not Trump, it is going to be a generational argument. And uh, look, I don't think that um, necessarily plays to our strengths as a party. I mean, because uh, the activist base of our party is very young. The energy of our party is very young. Um, and I'm not saying like, therefore, Biden shouldn't be the nominee. I'm just saying it's something people need to start thinking about now, because whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Haley, whoever it is, uh, they're going to make this, exp you know, she keeps saying a new generation. I literally ran a whole Senate campaign where I talked about a new generation. So I'm not criticizing her for that. It's just really clear that that's going to be more than just a subtext in this campaign in 2024. Right. Well, I've got the popcorn out and I'm really fascinated by this. Like, I think the Republican par party is truly in turmoil. And I think that they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're battling for their soul because I'm not sure such a thing exists, but they, <laughs> they really are trying to figure out who they are. And as somebody who has been you know, kind of, you know, the, the Democrats in disarray has been a message. Like we have been in the middle of this conversation about who are the Democrats. To, for us to be so tight right now and so organized on the same page by and large and for them to be so chaotic, I mean, I just love it. I love watching it. I can't get enough of it. Right on. Well, okay. We're going to cut to some words from our sponsors. When we return, we'll discuss the politics of the recent spat of UFO sightings because everything is political nowadays. Then we'll tackle the latest on the debt ceiling and the fight over the future of Social Security. We'll be right back. So I often get asked, what's my favorite supplement? And this is an easy answer, Athletic Greens. I've been taking this long before they sponsored this podcast, and it's really your one-stop shop. They call themselves Nutritional Insurance, and it's really so much more than that. It's the first thing I do every morning. I've now started taking it instead of drinking coffee first thing in the morning, and I originally gave it a try because I was feeling low in energy, and I wanted to get an extra boost, an extra pep in my step for you know certain things that require the most out of me, things like doing this podcast, you know, doing fitness, playing sports, just being at my best for my team during my day job. And you could take it at any time of the day. I know people who take it you know, in the middle of the day instead of that afternoon coffee. I know people who take it right before they go to sleep. And with one delicious scoop a day, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. So if you're looking for simpler cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash majority. That's athleticgreens.com slash majority to check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So this is a tough time of year for a lot of people. It's cold out there. It's rainy, depending on where you live. It might be even snowing. And you know it's it's basically that tail end of winter where you might not be getting enough vitamin D, you might not be able to get outside as much. And so I want you to hang in there, but I also want you to not be afraid to ask for help. And our sponsor, BetterHelp, makes it as easy as possible for you. Because a lot of you, this is Majority 54 audience, you're all over the country. Some of you don't live in big cities where you have many options for therapy. And BetterHelp says, you know what, no matter where you are, we're going to give you a ton of options. We're going to lower the barriers to entry so you don't have to go somewhere, wait in a waiting room, worry about who you're going to see, whatever. Like, There's no problem with that, right? But we want to make it as easy as possible for you to get help. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, 
try BetterHelp. And what's awesome is it's convenient, it's affordable, entirely online. And all you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you could switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. And so if you want to live a more empowered life and get that therapy that you need, go out and visit betterhelp.com slash M54 today and you'll get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. So I spent a lot of time with our next partner, Helix. And I have a Helix sleep mattress. And what they do is they send you this quiz and it takes under two minutes to take this quiz. And you just basically talk about what are you looking for in a mattress? Because you spend so much time sleeping if you really think about it. And it's kind of crazy that we have this one size fits all approach to mattresses. So you take this quiz like I did. I, you know, because of my quiz, they sent me this thing called the Midnight Lux mattress. They send it straight to your door, free of charge, no extra shipping. What's incredible about this is the mattress for me, like I've always been somebody who struggled with sleeping consistently. And I live in an apartment in Manhattan that is very loud outside. And I've been sleeping like a baby ever since I got this mattress. And so you can go out there, you can take this quiz, remember under two minutes, and they'll send you a mattress that's right for you. And what's really cool is for our audience, Helix is offering their best deal that they give out there, which is 20% off and two free pillows. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com slash majority 54. Remember, this is the best offer that they give out there. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54. With Helix, better sleep starts now. All right, Robert, you know how much I love talking about UFOs. Like, because there's been a couple of times over the last couple of years where it's like been in the news. And I remember you and I having a conversation on this show about what would actually happen if aliens showed up like politically <laughs> like and and then oddly they made that movie don't look up which sort of touched on a lot of the things that we were predicting yeah, you mean actual happened. aliens not the slur like, for people on, on south of the border right right yeah. Yeah. like not act yes like actually from another planet or universe or whatever and now i'm not saying that there's aliens and that's what these ufos are but what's interesting is now we have unidentified flying objects that are affecting our national security. And what do we have? We have the two parties demonstrating the regular polarization. One group sort of living in the reality of like, well, you can't really uh, just shoot things down over populated areas. And also there's other reasons we would have, you know, wanted to take a moment to observe. And then the other party that's like, this is gibberish. And so uh, with that, uh, let's go ahead and go to a clip that kind of demonstrates this difference. Have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrials? terrestrials and if so why because that is what everyone is asking us right now and thanks for the question Helene. i'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out i haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point we continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches north america uh, with an attempt to identify it okay so that's setting the stage right that's like some people are like, could it could it be aliens? And they don't really get an answer. And and as they're struggling for whether or not they're going to be an answer, then you've got like the right coming in with all sorts of like, well, like ignoring that and coming in. Basically like, like a heat seeking missiles for anything they can make a scandal. Actually, like absolutely. Right. Like it's like, well, you know, we can't talk about the gas stoves anymore. We've been talking about the gas stoves for a while. Um, so they said, OK, we're going to we're going to have completely different takes on this stuff. And to give people uh, like a little bit of a preview. We'll go to the clip in a second. Some of the takes are like, they. My, one of my favorites was, well, if they could see it when it took off, they should have like shot it down before it got onto US soil. Talking about the original 
uh, you know, Chinese spy balloon. And it's like, so let me get this straight. Before the thing ever showed up in U.S. airspace, we should have just known that was going to happen. We should have just blown it out of the sky. Are there any other objects, maybe passenger airplanes, that you think <laughs> might violate U.S. airspace at some point? So you have to preemptively shoot them down. That was one of my one of my favorite takes. Uh, but yeah. there, there were several of these. Well, yeah, and let me like set the stage here with a little bit of the timeline before we get even deeper into the politics here. So there are many objects that enter U.S. airspace or just are unidentified, right? And a UFO is just a term to, to mean exactly what it means. It doesn't mean aliens. It just means we don't know what it is. And in this era of drones and new technology and all that, the chances are that we're going to have a lot of these things going on. And so you have the original object, which really isn't even the original. There was stuff even before this, but we're just clocking in it when this became a sensation. Uh, on the 28th of January, that object, the balloon, enters Alaskan airspace. And on the 4th of February, the U.S. shoots it down uh, off the coast of South Carolina. So it basically traveled across the United States. And the U.S. was pretty conclusive at that point that this was Chinese and that it was surveilling U.S. military bases. And as we'll probably have time to talk about, the Chinese have been inconsistent about how they describe that. Then on the 9th, a new UFO was detected in Alaskan airspace. The U.S. shot that down the next day. Then another one passed over Alaska. Then that was shot down. Then another one uh, over Montana. Then the U.S. shot that down. So that's three additional uh, that were shot down. And those uh, additional ones um, were not identified as Chinese necessarily. We don't know what those are yet. It could be the frat brothers, you know, who, you know, bought the hot air balloon and, and it just got, you know, like they lost track of it. You know, we have no idea what those are. And the U.S. has, has alluded to the fact that maybe some of those were just innocent and they just, you know, violated FAA regulations. But as you said, the politics being what they are, people want to politicize this. Uh, let's go to a clip of how the different parties are characterizing this series of events. It is absolutely amazing that the Biden administration would constantly posture from a position of weakness rather than try to place America in a position of strength. By floating a balloon across the entirety of the United States of America, they were testing us, Maria. They were testing us to see what our resolve would be. There's a logic to what the administration has done. The two shootdowns have occurred around objects that were a threat to civil aviation. Remember, the, Chinese, the initial Chinese balloon was at 50, 60,000 feet. That's not a threat. If you're down at, below, at or below 40,000 feet, now you're in the travel zones for civilian aviation. There are concerns about gathering intelligence. That's why uh, I, I think it wasn't wrong for the administration to want to observe the first Chinese balloon. There's questions about where this stuff might land. The two shootdowns obviously were over very remote areas. China's a problem, and this administration thus far hasn't uh, set a very good example of standing up to China. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, shooting the balloon down in the Atlantic once it flew over all the military bases, including my own Fort Campbell, Kentucky, it's very disturbing. I'm glad this administration's taken it uh, more seriously with respect to the balloons, but we've got a whole lot bigger problem with China than the spy balloon. But China's taken advantage of us over and over and over again. 
And this administration has been just about tougher than any other. This administration is strong and tough on China, but mindful of the fact that we just, you know, we can't stop talking to them. We have to try to have some kind of relationship. The bottom line is, first, until a few months ago, we didn't know of these balloons. Our intelligence and our military did not know. This went as far back as President Trump, at least three times. It's wild that we didn't know, isn't it? It is wild that we didn't know. I can't say what their awareness was over the last... 10 years, uh, but but obviously there was some awareness, but uh, whether it was up to where it needed to be, that's a, that's a debate that Congress needs to have and questions that need to be answered by our, our military leadership. To hear this Pentagon quote a senior official from the Pentagon, an unnamed official, coming out and trying to deflect blame, to say that this had happened in the Trump administration, I can assure you if that had happened, the Trump administration would have dealt with it. If the Trump administration political leadership had known anything about this, they would have dealt with this. This is time for the United States to Chris, take they this didn't as know. a they didn't point to invest. We need more sophisticated radar systems. We have them. We just don't have them deployed to protect the United States an integrated missile defense system. We've helped invest in Israel having an integrated missile defense system. We don't have one ourselves. This is a turning point where we need to discuss this is a threat and how do we respond to it? You know, the one thing, Chuck, that is troubling me here, uh, I sort of see a pattern. I, as I looked at social media this morning, you know, all of a sudden, massive speculation about alien invasions and, you know, additional Chinese action yeah. or Russian action. You know, in an absence of information, yep. people will fill that gap with anxiety and other stuff. So I wish the administration was a little quicker to tell us everything that they do know. I, Jason, I like my, my government keeping some of these things secret, especially since it's very likely we're sending our own stuff above China. China actually said as much. And I just want to correct one thing that Senator Haggerty said, which he said that if this happened during the Trump administration, XYZ, uh, according to NPR, U.S. officials uh, from the Trump era and then after have confirmed that Chinese balloons crossed over to the U.S. at least three times during the Trump administration and at least one time earlier in the Biden administration. And actually part of the reason why to be you know, charitable to the, some of the Trump officials, they might not know this because some of this was confirmed uh, after the fact. We didn't know about it, and then we later were able to confirm that these um, that these objects crossed over into our airspace. And actually, one of the reasons why we even know about any of this is Biden ordered the intelligence and military community to refine uh, the technology they're using to track these to actually start to track more objects above U.S. airspace, which is part of the reason why we're even starting to confront more of these objects now more than ever before. There's a couple of things about this that stand out to me. Um, the first is that the saber rattling by Republicans in regards to China is becoming a lot louder lately. And it's, it's been true for a little while. It's you know prior to this spy balloon thing. I mean, there's been things like you know, controversies having to do with the NBA uh, in China that a bunch of, you know, Republican politicians have have grabbed onto and, and tried to make hay out of. And and I don't necessarily disagree with them on everything, every time when it comes to China. What worries me as somebody who's like been in the military before is that what I'm sensing is a real like, I don't know, this thing where they seem to have found this political winner and they feel like if they can saber rattle toward China, it's almost like they think, well, we're never actually going to go to war with China. So right. we can just talk tough about them all the time. And we can constantly say that the Biden administration isn't tough enough. But the reason that that worries me is because that's a real good way to get in a fight. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like when I was uh, when I was like, I don't know, 
in junior high, um, one of my uh, older brothers was uh, was really big, and he was around all the time. And I, I I'm sure this is a shock, was a huge smartass. And we would go <laughs> places, and I would smart off to all sorts of people because I knew that my big brother was there, right? And then he went to college, and I became much more diplomatic. Uh, and what I'm worried about is, is that, you know, these Republicans, like, they don't have, most of them don't have kids in the military. They don't, you know, they don't even think it's realistic that we'd ever go to war with China. Never mind the fact that like we're constantly potentially on the brink of that because of Taiwan. And I'm not saying they're trying to create a war with China. I'm saying they, they see a political advantage what, in having people be very afraid. Of well, China. we haven't had a chance to talk about this on air. You did have a back and forth with one Senator J.D. Vance about this very subject. You want to explain yes. what happened to our audience on this one? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, yes, J.D. Vance, uh, like many uh, Republicans that day, um, that when the spy balloon was going over the United States, he tweeted out a photo of himself sitting out there looking up with a rifle, um, acting like he was going to shoot it down. Now, look, he probably was kidding, right? The problem is there's an awful lot of people who like there were people shooting at the balloon okay there were stupid people doing that and at the time they did that it was passing over missouri and like we have a problem i mean you know we just won a super bowl and one of the first things the mayor had to say i was you know, waiting was, for how long it would take yeah i don't can you believe it took me that long to, but the mayor had to say mm -hmm. don't fire guns in the air in, in a celebratory fashion i mean it happens every fourth of july it happens over new year's and those come down and they hit people and they kill people and and so you know i just all I said was, I said, hey, you know, this can encourage dumb people to do really dumb things uh, and fire at something that's, you know, tens of thousands uh, of feet out of range and those bullets come down. You would think a U.S. senator might want to discourage that, to which J.D. Vance called me a humorless scold and said that mm -hmm. that must be why I lost my Senate race. Uh, and I was like, I don't think that's why. And so you... you you outperformed the ticket that year dramatically, which was Hillary by, mm. I don't know, you know how many 16 points. points. You outperformed Hillary by 16 points in Missouri, and he underperformed Trump pretty significantly in Ohio. So he he's the only reason why he's a senator is because of forces extraneous to him. But it does yeah. show that these guys are not interested in being statesmen and women. Also, like it shows that he assumes I still want to be a senator and I don't, <laughs> but, but like they, they get into that world and they're like, everybody must want what I have. Um, but that's the first part is the saber rattling gets me. But here's the other thing you mentioned the report that, you know, the Chinese have said, the Chinese government has said that, uh, well, you know, the, the U S sends these over, over us all the time. And that they, they said there's like been 10 this year or something. And look, I think it's an, I think it's either an exaggeration or a lie. The U.S. government is saying it's not true at all. But it's but what do we know? We spy on them. Yeah. Like I think it's we spy on each other. So whether it's an object in the sky or whatever, like that's happening. Uh, and, I, and I'm not like like you. Like the thing about the China stuff is my problem isn't that we're hard on China. It's that the Republicans want to only be hard on China. They don't want to talk about Saudi Arabia. They don't want to talk about Russia. Like I I'm I'm all about holding authoritarian regimes. Uh, accountable and being tough on them. I just think we should be consistent about it. And and that's exactly what I was going to say is absolutely we spy on China. I literally have a friend who was on the spy plane, you know, like 20 years ago or whatever it was that that uh, ended up having to emergency land in China and was like held for for what three weeks or whatever it was, right? Like we do that. 
but what gets me is, as you, and you alluded to this, switch out China and Russia in this scenario and think about the different reactions that we get right. from the Republicans here, right? Like right. China is saying, well, you do this to us. And the Democratic presidential administration, the Biden administration is saying, no, we haven't done this. And Republicans are ignoring that, right? But if this were reversed, they would be saying, if it or not reversed, but if it were Russia, they would be saying, well, look, we do this to them. So what? So Russia right. sp sent a, a spy balloon over. I'm sure we're sending these over them. It's part of the game. It's what we do. Right. They would not be yelling about how Biden is not tough enough on Putin. Uh, right. That's not what they would be doing. Right. I mean, I'm constantly hearing from my Republican friends about how we've overblown the Russian threat. Absolutely. And, and, and they make fun of us for being, you know, pro-Ukraine. Um, like right. they make fun of us. <laughs> like it is some sort Absolutely of weakness. Amazing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this, uh, this UFO situation other than I'll, I'll reiterate something I think I've said on this podcast before, which is I'm generally pro alien involvement in this planet. I think I, <laughs> Me too. I, I think I, there's, I think we could use some help. Yeah, I really do. There's always the sense that, and this is the media is responsible for this and Hollywood, that the aliens are necessarily bad and that we're good. But I look around what? and I'm like, there's at least 40% of this country that I'm like, all right, look, we're stuck together and I love them and we're all going to make this experiment work, you know, as well as we possibly can. But if we added more people who are smart enough to get here before we could get wherever they are, maybe they'll kill us all because maybe we're offensive to whatever their morals are. That, that wouldn't be surprised, but maybe they'll just help us be better people. That's my hope. Well, I hope they're really nice because if they are, if this is aliens, uh, we just shot down some of their stuff. So yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that they come in peace. Well, there's a great book I'll recommend to the audience, which I actually got from Mike Schur when he was on this podcast as a recommendation. Uh, the It's called The Three-Body Problem. It's all about what happens if... Uh, we actually learned of extraterrestrial, uh, you know, monitoring of this planet and presence on this planet, and and whether what would happen if we invited them. It's a, it's really interesting, and apparently Netflix is making a show about it. But maybe enough alien talk, Jason. Should we talk about sure. the debt ceiling? I know it's a bummer sure. for you to move off of this, but all right, debt ceiling. Let me just lay this lay this out really quickly. The Treasury Department uh, has now said. Uh, that this that we're heading towards a fiscal disaster. Now we have the Congressional Be Budget Office weighing in today, saying that the Treasury Department's ability to continue paying its bills and prevent the United States from de defaulting on its debt could be exhausted sometime between July and September. And so this means that this is actually, believe it or not, positive news compared to the last time we talked about this, because it's like a few more weeks, if not a right. month or more more than we thought before. Um, and Yellen, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, uh, recently said that, quote, in my assessment and that of the economists across the board, a default on our debt would produce an economic and financial catastrophe. Household payments on mortgages, auto loans, and credit cards would rise, and the American businesses would see credit markets deteriorate. This would be a catastrophe. Republicans, being the nihilists that they are, probably invite this chaos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Look, I, there was this clip that I wanted to play, but then I looked it up and it's got some words in it that you can't use uh, here. But there's a there's a moment in Blazing Saddles where they're getting ready to kill the sheriff and the sheriff takes himself hostage. And then all of the other people are like, wait a minute, he'll do it. <laughs> he's threatening. They're like, they're there to kill him. And he's like, 
threatening to kill himself and they're like oh back away he's serious he'll do it like he takes himself that's that's literally what the republicans are doing they're they're just like hey uh we'll bring this whole thing down because they're they're in the boat too and they're like threatening to sink the ship that they are also in and it brings me to where Biden is now, right? And it made me think of a whole other clip uh, that we can play, which is, you know, Biden is saying, look, I'm not going to agree to all of these undefined spending cuts that you're demanding while you hold us hostage with the debt ceiling. Uh, because if the debt ceiling collapses, it collapses for, or if the economy collapses, it collapses for you too. So he's a little bit calling their bluff here, very much is calling their bluff. And it reminds me of one of my favorite story arcs from West Wing uh, when President Bartlett uh, called the bluff of the Republican speaker on, uh, on, a, on a shutdown having to do with passing a budget. Uh, and so let's go to that short little clip of, of President Bartlett just reading the riot act to that speaker. Well, I think actually we don't have the clip, unfortunately. I think we ran ah, into some bad. rights issues. I think. See, it, look, I try and do a clip and, and I just we, demonstrate. The, the lawyer, I think the lawyers got after us, but I'll describe, I'll describe what this clip is. It's act it out, Robbie. Yeah, I'll act it out. I'll try to do my best Bartlett. But I, so this is just Bartlett just being like, no, like, I'm just not going to take it. Like you're, you're He's basically. like, I'm the president. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, the president. president. I'm we had a deal. We're not doing this. And uh, oh, I'm such a letdown. But you know what? I still felt the same energy. It's so good. It's so yeah, good. So, yeah, we don't want to get this taken down. People can I go mean, find it. Every once in a while, I got to use my law degree here. But yeah, like I would love for I refuse that to, to use mine. Now, the problem is we don't live in the West Wing as much as I would love to. And like that world is, you know, where politicians speak in complete sentences and read books and actually attempt to work together every now and then and listen to logic. Uh, so, where we are right now is we've got Biden staring down, you know, a group of politicians who are about as mindless as the sort of infected in The Last of Us, you know, <laughs> like the, they're about as reasonable. So he's got a very difficult series of months ahead of him. And, and I would love to say I'm optimistic that we're going to avoid, you know, this catastrophe, but I'm not quite sure. But what I am pretty sure of is that Biden is pretty strident about this and he's been pretty clear that he's not going to negotiate down Social Security and Medicare. And he's actually been pretty feisty about this. Um, there is this, he, he actually, the White House itself shared this split screen clip uh, of Senator Mike Lee. Uh, and on one side, if you're on the audio audience, you can't see the left side of the clip, which is Mike Lee getting offended when Biden talked about how Republicans want to cut social security. But what you will hear in the clip is the right side of the clip, which is Mike Lee in a different setting talking about the very thing Biden accuses Republicans of. Let's go to that clip. It will be my objective to phase out social security, nice. to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. Here, here, here. Um, people who advise me politically always tell me that's dangerous. And I tell them, in that case, it's not worth my running. That's why I'm doing this, to get rid of that. Medicare and Medicaid are of the same sort. And yeah, so that's Mike Lee. And you might be like, all right, well, that's just one person. Well, we just talked about Nikki Haley. Let's let's go to what she just had to say, say about this in the past. What they need to be doing is looking at entitlements. Look at Social Security. Look at Medicaid. Look at Medicare. Look at these things. And let's actually go to the heart of what's causing government to grow. So, you're so that's Haley, right? And then Biden himself... You know, he didn't say Rick Scott by name in his speech. He was nice enough to, to say that. In the State of the Union, yeah. 
the State of the Union, but then he's now, you know, kind of been out talking, stumping. And he went after Rick Scott after the State of the Union because I guess Rick Scott didn't fully own this issue. <laughs> Let's go to this clip of Biden. Senator Rick Scott from Florida, who was responsible for getting Republicans elected to the Senate, is a little bit in hot water right now. <laughs> because his plan is to sunset Medicare and Social Security. Well, meaning if you don't reauthorize them every five years, they go out of existence. And here's Rick Scott's response to this. He says that because I'm cutting, he said, I'm cutting prescription drug costs. That means I'm cutting Medicare. Where has he been? I think he's a little confused. I, I love, I love like how Biden can, um, he, he's like very diplomatic and he does, he's like maybe the last Democratic politician we're going to have who's going to always and exclusively refer to Republicans as his Republican friends. But at the same time, like you can tell when he's enjoying twisting the knife, right? Like, like he enjoyed, well, now I'm no longer, you know, in the chamber. I'm going to talk about Rick Scott by name. And I mean, it is ridiculous. Rick Scott's like, well, you're cutting Medicare because you're cutting the cost of medic, the cost of medicine for seniors. Like, Yes, I guess you're cutting how much of Medicare's funding goes to pharmaceutical <laughs> right. companies. I suppose right. that is cutting yeah. Medicare. It's Which actually of, probably, in, in Rick Scott's defense, is probably offensive to him. It, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you know anything about him. Absolutely. Uh, and, he made his money. And, and, and so, uh, you know, you can see that Biden is enjoying the fact that by not referencing him by name in the State of the Union, but talking about his terrible ideas, he's in trouble with his side, not for his terrible ideas, but for saying his terrible ideas out loud and 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 biden is clearly enjoying that which by the way just as an aside the concept of sunsetting everything now not only rick scott didn't just say we should sunset these programs he said every year every federal law that has been passed every federal program should be sunset meaning it should if it's not renewed every five years it goes away can you imagine if we didn't have any federal programs or laws at all unless they were renewed every five years the house and senate would be like working 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, just renewing stuff, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, the way our politics work, I'm sorry, there's no way in the world that you would get a 60-vote majority in the Repu in, in the U.S. Senate, regardless of the makeup of it, as long as it wasn't 60, 60 Democrats, to actually renew uh, Medicare, Social Security, or Medicaid. They would, he, Biden's right. They would be gone because these people yeah. don't want those programs. They, we can't even get them to commit to vote to honor the full faith credit of the United States. Right. So, you know, like who knows what kind of programs would never exist after all this. They they opposed these programs when they were put in by FDR. They opposed them then. They opposed any extension of them all along the way. They don't want them. They never have. Well, so we'll obviously keep an eye on this. This is going to be the dominant conversation over the next few months. And I think what Republicans are trying to do is sabotage an economy that may be on the rebound. You know, there are mm -hmm. all these, you know, economic experts out there who are looking towards inflation, which seems maybe to be getting under control, uh, the job numbers. What's amazing is, and we talk about this almost every week, Biden is in this bind where he has record low unemployment, but he's been dealing with high inflation. And one of the reasons why people say inflation is so high is because unemployment being as low as it is means that wages are high, which is generally a good thing, but the downside is things cost more. Right? And so there's a balance to that. And the tricky thing is people have been, like economists have been reacting to these low unemployment numbers, like almost doomsaying, like, oh no, another low unemployment quarter, right? Or month. Yeah. And what's 
interesting so far is that unemployment's staying low and inflation seems to be coming down. If Biden can manage anything close to this, it will be an economic miracle. And the, we shouldn't hold an election at that point. We should just say this is, I mean, of course, we're gonna, we should hold an election. I don't want anybody clipping that. But like, that would be Houdini level presidential work there. And that would be very impressive. And I'm hoping we get there. And we'll probably know in the next six to nine months whether we get there. Yeah, particularly with uh, Biden's record so far, it will be particularly impressive um, with the fact that, as you said, the Republicans are going to be trying to uh, sabotage it at every at every turn. So, yeah. all right, this has well, been before, fun. Well, oh, before you, you go, more. I can't I can't let you go before, and I'll, I'm, I'm doing this really for the the, the majority fifty four faithful. Is like we don't banter on the front end, so I I got to uh, ask you certain at the end of every episode, I'm going to call this one for us. Yeah, new segment, and. I got to ask you, as painful as it is to ask you, I heard there was a football game. I missed it <laughs> over the weekend. How are you feeling about it? I heard it was a close one. Uh, we're feeling great. There was a huge Super Bowl parade today uh, in Kansas City. Um, we did win the Super Bowl. I, for those who are new to the show, Ravi is a, is a huge fan of the Buffalo Bills. I am uh, a huge fan of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, it's been good. You know, what's funny is um, I grew up, just it was just all bad teams you know i mean i was joking this morning that uh when i was growing up the best football player in kansas city played for the royals uh his name was bo jackson and then also we had a football team and I now you guys had bo jackson that's unbelievable. yeah right you know and he would occasionally play at arrowhead when he showed up with the raiders to play against us but other than that yeah we Wait, didn't have that sort of thing it's crazy that he wasn't on the same team mm -hmm. you know like that he didn't play for the Chiefs because that would have made sense. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what I did this weekend instead of watching that game, Jason, is there's a show that I alluded to earlier called The Last of Us. And it's actually funny because this episode was about an alternate apocalyptic Kansas City. So I pretended <laughs> it was overrun by infected zombies. And uh, that made me feel a lot better about uh, everything that's happened in football. They notice they didn't, and apparently Kansas City, according to the show, is the more, where the most vicious people were, not just the zombies, but the, the survivors. And I, as well, to be fair, I don't know the premise of the whole show, but I would imagine if it really happened, we wouldn't have a lot of people taking a vaccine if it was, you know, yes, it was there compared to other places. And as somebody who's tweeted occasionally about Josh Allen versus Mahomes, tweets that haven't aged well, uh, I could say that it is a pretty vicious city. As much as I love you, Kansas City, I, I don't come after me on the internet. I have so many of you that I have so much respect for, but you can be, you know, a little aggressive at times when when you feel wronged. So that's what I did instead of watching the Super Bowl. So it made me feel better. It made me feel. Well, you missed better. you missed a heck of a game with a great ending. All right. Well, well, mercifully bring us to an end, Jason, here. All right. Okay. Look, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. You, if, if you don't already subscribe, just search Majority 54 uh, and then hit subscribe and then, you know, leave us a five-star review. Uh, look, the show's changed a little bit in the format. So if you haven't left a review in a while, feel free to leave a review letting us know, um, you know, how the last two weeks have gone, whether you like it, whether you don't, what you think should change, what you think should come back, what you think we should, you know, do away with that kind of thing. We appreciate it. Thank you to the Midas Mighty who are watching uh, and who are still a little bit new to Ravi and myself. I uh, hope you're enjoying it. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. <laughs>